So today, um, our gospel reading is from John 13, and I'm actually going to start reading from the 31st verse, and that will, um, that will help all of us understand more what happens at the end when Jesus speaks to, uh, to Peter. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I'm with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. This is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. Well, dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. And I again want to say welcome to all of you who are visiting today. Um, It is a joy to have you with us, and I pray that uh, our worship service and this sermon, this meditation, uh, is a blessing to you as you seek the face of God and as you want to understand more what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Most Christians I know, especially those who are mature in the faith and who've spent some time studying the Word, and anyone that's been a member of this congregation for a while, uh, all those people are familiar with what we call the Great Commission. Raise your hand if you know what the Great Commission is. It's in Matthew 28. And these are parting words of Christ. And you know, last words are lasting words, right? And as Jesus gathers with his disciples before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he commissions them. He sends them out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the triune God and teaching people to obey everything that he's taught them in his three-year ministry. So we have this uh, great commission. It's been part of the Christian church from the beginning. It's part of our life and the spirit of this congregation now. Uh, Many of you have gone out as missionaries Uh, to various parts of the world to serve and bring the gospel to people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you support missionaries who are willing to leave the comforts of home and oftentimes place themselves in uh, positions of great risk and personal sacrifice to evangelize, to bring the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard it. So we've got the Great Commission. How many of you know what the Great Commandment is? See, I wish as many people knew about the Great Commandment as know about the Great Commission. That's um, a reference to what we heard in our Gospel reading today. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. 
that you love one another. The way I've loved you is the way you should love each other. And by this love that we share, by this love that you have for one another as my disciples, that's how people will know that you belong to me, that you're Christians. Now then, it's really important that we know what kind of love Christ is describing here. And I uh, spent most of my sermon last week getting to the heart of that. If you weren't in worship last week and the sermon is on our website, please give it a listen. But in real thumbnail sketch, um, there's natural loves that are worldly. And they're, they're not evil, but it's not the kind of love that Christ is describing. Do you remember if you were in worship last week? There's eros, the love between a man and a woman. There's philia, the love between people who live in the same city, the same state, the same province, the same nation. And then there's the storge love, which isn't as big as the people who live in the same country, but it's that closer, more intimate, like familial love, the love I hope you experience when you gather with your family and your closest friends around a table to break bread and celebrate the gift of life. Those are all wonderful loves, but the love Jesus is describing here is not erosphilia or storge. It's an altogether different type of love. It's the love that's mentioned in the New Testament from start to finish, and it's called agape. Agape love. Now let's remember, you don't have to be a Christian to experience the three natural loves. Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus all experience in one way or another eros and philia and storge. Atheists and agnostics speak of romantic love between two people. They know of a love, a mutual affection that binds a family together. It's agape love that is categorically different, and Jesus says is the singular distinguishing feature of Christian community. I give you this new commandment. Have agape love for each other, the way I've had agape love for you. And by this agape that you have for each other, that's how people will know that you follow me, that you're my disciples, that you are my students, my apprentices who are learning from the Master. So this agape love... It comes from Jesus, its source is Christ, it's defined and demonstrated by the Savior, and Jesus tells us it's by this singular love that he will be made known as we are revealed as his disciples. I have been a pastor for 35 years, I've been a pastor here in Albuquerque for 21 of those years. I've heard people uh, all those years, but especially the last two decades plus, talking about all the congregations in our city. Some of you go on vacation and you're eager to come back and say, oh, pastor, I, I want to give you a bulletin from the church I attended while I was on vacation, the church I visited when I was on a business trip, and I'll ask you, well, what was that church like? Oh, they got awesome music. They got a great building. That's what I hear people describing Christian community, those modifiers, those distinguishing features. And here in Albuquerque, when I hear people talking about congregations, they will often talk about the music, uh, the buildings, oh, the numbers, the number of people who attend that church. Some of you will come back from vacation and say, Pastor, I looked up one of our sister congregations and I, when I went there, and ugh, they only had like 30 people in church. Or, Pastor, I went to this congregation and they had 2,000 people in church. So it's music, it's buildings, it's numbers, and then sometimes it's all about the personality of the pastor. No one ever says to me, Pastor, I went and worshiped at this place, and man, did I feel so much agape love. It was just bouncing off the walls. 
it, great music is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. And we're blessed to have really good music here at Faith. Our choirs, our bands, um, Rhonda, our organist. You think Ruth Ronan came in today and just did that cold? I mean, she's talented, but, but she practices. She, she does that because she loves God. I wish you could be here on weekdays and hear Rhonda rehearsing, preparing for worship. I mean, we open the door so everybody on staff can hear the music just come around and, and bless us. But without love, agape love, without this sense of ministry that our musicians have, uh, the music would just be music. Secular bands and symphonies make awesome music too. But without Christian love, the king of love in our midst and the focus of our worship, music is just music. But with love, oh, we become transported, don't we? We, we are blessed. Uh, we experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said that yeah, the sacraments are baptism and communion. But he said, you know, music just might be a third sacrament. Because good Christian music done to the glory of God is a, is a means of grace. There's nothing wrong with beautiful buildings. Our building happens to be a really delightful place. It's even received some awards for excellence in design, and we even have received trophies. And one member at 8 o'clock said, Pastor, you're making that up. I mean, I've never seen any trophies. (laughs) The Award of Excellence for Religious Facility 2003, Faith Lutheran Church Edition and Remodel. So there, there, I'm just going to put this right here. But I have a complaint about this sanctuary. You want to guess what it is? Now, I can't see the mountains from here. And one Sunday before I retire, I'm going to have everybody grab a folding chair and come sit up here. And I'm going to preach from back there so I get to enjoy the view. You know, your faces are a great view. And you know I'm just joking. But without love, this means nothing. And without love, you know, a view of the mountain is just a view of the mountains. But with love, it's a view where we thank God for what he did. Shaping and forming this earth and giving us these Sandia mountains. Numbers, boy oh boy. I was on the phone just last week with a young pastor in the Midwest who is really discouraged and he feels like he's a failure. Because he lives in this culture that at least for the last part of the previous century and for all of this new century is uh, confusing faithfulness with worldly success. He feels like a total failure because his congregation only has one service a weekend on Sunday morning and it's got about 170, 172 people. And he's reminded because of all the publicity You know, that he's a failure because he doesn't have 52,000 people in worship, you know, like the largest congregation in these United States. And I use the word congregation advisedly. They congregate, but you don't hear Christ crucified preached in the arena in Houston. 
which Paul tells us is the only message we have to proclaim, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Instead, this, I won't call him a preacher, this talker gives a good pep talk on self-fulfillment and acquiring worldly wealth and, you know, going to this false God whose sole purpose is to give you everything you've ever wanted ever dreamed of having, and that speaker, that so-called pastor, does it in Houston, a town of 2.3 million, that means he's got a 2.2% draw of his community, back to that young pastor who's feeling so discouraged, his town has about 1,700, his congregation impacts 10% of that town, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's making hospital and home visits, and he's teaching Sunday school, and he's teaching confirmation, and he's counseling people, and he's visiting the elderly. Why in the world should he ever feel like a failure? It's because of the culture in which we live that'll use all kinds of yardsticks for success over against faithfulness and love. And speaking of numbers, three years, Jesus did his ministry on earth as the great shepherd. And in three years, he had 12 followers, 12 disciples. How do you think a search committee, a call committee, would deal with a pastoral candidate? Well, pastor, tell me about your congregation. Well, I've been at it for three years and I got 12 people. And then he goes to Jerusalem to die and one betrays him. And then you heard in the gospel, Peter denies him. He lost 16% of his congregation in one week. You think a call committee would want to interview that candidate? You see, numbers don't always tell the truth or the whole story. Not in the kingdom of God. And instead of talking about love and celebrating the love that makes us known as Christians, sometimes people will talk all about the pastor the personality cult of the pastor. I'm really uncomfortable a lot when faith comes up in conversations and I hear people say, Faith Lutheran, that's Bruce Wilder's church. That is so wrong. You know what's even worse? Yeah, Bruce Wilder took that church over from Russell Lee. That's even worse. Or in a few years, you know, when Bruce retires, he's going he's gonna to give his church to Jerry. Last week I was in a store. A gentleman I know in the community who doesn't worship here waved at me. Yes, I can still see people waving, though I'm legally blind. I see you in the back looking at the mountains while I'm preaching. But he waves at me and comes over. Bruce, I wanted to meet somebody. And he says to his friend, you know, this is Bruce. Um, that, that big church down there on Spain belongs to him. Wrong. The church doesn't belong to any pastor. It belongs to Jesus Christ purchased with his blood. And even when a pastor has a fairly decent reputation as a preacher, that preaching will never, ever make up for a lack of love among the people. Many growing, thriving congregations have got mediocre music, buildings that have never won awards, and preaching that might be, you know, C plus to B minus but I've been in congregations that have love. And it's a wondrous thing. It's the most important thing. Jesus says it's the thing. (laughs) Today I want you to think with me about some distinguishing features of this agape love. Not that I've dreamt up, but that are revealed in the God of love, the source of love, Jesus Christ. 
Agape love is a love that serves, sacrifices, and seeks. Jesus came to serve. Later today, when you have time, take a look at the beginning verses of chapter 13. And there you see Jesus, the King of heaven, stooping down, bending a knee, washing the feet, the filthy, dirty, stinking feet of his disciples, doing the work of a house servant, a slave. Agape love is like that, it serves. And when most of you are away from this building the rest of the week, Sunday to Sunday, we see agape love here all the time. We have a group of women who come here regularly to clean whatever needs to be cleaned. They don't do that with fanfare. They don't do that to be rewarded. They sure ain't getting paid for it, but they do it with joy and love. I see this agape love when people take the time to bring cans of tuna and other foods for the people who are hungry in our city. And when our members take time out of their lives to deliver clothing to Locker 505 and go and serve in places that reach out to the most destitute in our community. I see agape love when students in our congregation take time out of their summer vacation not to go to some tropical beach, not to go to some wonderful destination and take selfies for Facebook. YOLO, look where I am. They go to a reservation in South Dakota to help rebuild uh, structures that are falling apart. Sleeping on floors in buildings without air conditioning. What in the world would make a teenager today do that? What would make the adults that went with them do that? Were it not for agape love. And you see, these acts of love, these, these, these simple servant acts of love, they're not like little add-ons. They're not like, you know, side dishes. It, it's the main entree. It's the main thing. Jesus says, by your love, you'll be known as my disciples. And the king of love came to sacrifice. He didn't just sacrifice a few extra coins in his weekly budget, a little spare time, or some of his energy. The scriptures say Jesus emptied himself emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a servant, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he did that because of love. And whatever we surrender, whatever we give, whatever we do in love, we do for the sake of Christ. You see, Christian stewardship is not about paying the bills, keeping the lights on, or uh, we've got to provide salaries for our staff because they're not independently wealthy. Love is first and foremost in Christian sacrificial giving. Love shapes and guides everything we do. And when you give, when you sacrifice some of your time, some of your talent, some of your worldly treasure, and you do that as an act of love, you see, then it glorifies God. And a congregation that celebrates the opportunity to give back to God what he's first given us is a congregation that will be known for a contagious love and a spirit of joyful generosity. And Jesus came to seek. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story, a parable of the lost sheep. He describes a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. That's a big flock who willingly leaves 99 that are safe and secure to go after that one sheep that now has run off and is lost. And he doesn't give up until he finds it. And of course, Christ uses this story to illustrate the love that we are to have for lost people. 
broken people, people who've made bad choices, people who are in a place where God doesn't want them to be, people who need restoration and healing and renewal, people who need to experience the love of God in Christian community. That's how we are to be like that shepherd. Now, if you do your homework and you do your historical study, a shepherd in Jesus' day typically had about 15 to 20 sheep. So when Jesus says, let me tell you about a shepherd who's got a hundred, that's extreme. That's a mega flock. And even with a mega flock of 99, safe at hand, Jesus says, the kind of love that I'm talking about is willing to leave the 99 and go seek that one. Does that make good business sense? I told you, numbers in the kingdom of God are different. And as long as there are lost souls in Albuquerque, we keep sacrificing and serving and seeking and loving Not too long ago, a dear woman in our congregation told me that I really should back off inviting, encouraging our members to bring their friends and co-workers and classmates to church, especially at Christmas, because I can't even sit where I want to sit. And she goes, faith is already big enough because I look around a typical Sunday morning and I don't know the names of half the people in the sanctuary. I'm not exactly sure how to respond to that. But this is what I tried. If, if you don't know all the people in the building when you worship, then just go up and one at a time say hi to that person you don't know. It's not rocket science. Tell them your name. Extend your hand. Greet them. And if they say, well, I've been a member of this congregation for 40 years. Well, isn't it great that we finally meet? And you might meet a visitor. And you might be the only person that greets them that day. And speaking of business, first impressions are lasting impressions. You know what it's like when you go into a restaurant and you store. If you have a negative experience, are you going back? No. You're going to go and give them a nasty rating on social media, some of you. So with some people who are hurting, we get one shot, we get one try to be hospitable. And we need to make it count. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Loves Me is not just a sweet little song from Sunday school and from our childhood. Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so, and he proved it on the cross. And the kind of love with which our Lord loves you is agape love, not eros, not philia, not storge. He came to serve, to sacrifice, and seek the lost. That means he found you and me who were lost until we were found. He gave his life on the cross. Jesus asked that you share that kind of love with other people. It's a commandment. Now, my parents made very certain that I learned the difference in my childhood between a suggestion and a commandment. You know, the difference between a suggestion and a commandment? I mean, spouses can do that too. You know? Um, if you don't mind, if you have time, it might be nice to take out the trash, honey. You know, take out the trash. There's a difference, right? This is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It comes from God. But it's a commandment that was not given by some thug, some despot, some tyrant, sitting on a throne. 
But a commandment to love was given by the King of Heaven, the suffering servant, who hung on a cross and died a miserable death because he loves you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.